Hi, you're listening to the sermon recording podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Hey, uh, good evening. I got that one right. Uh, those of you guys that are hiding in the back, you can scoot up if you want to. Um, so I, uh, yeah, as Jeff said, I don't get to speak as often as I used to. There's one. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so it's, uh, when you don't speak in a place very often there's a lot the Lord works within you in a season that it's like, oh my gosh, oh, I could share about this, or I could talk about this, or I could talk about this. So I've decided to talk about all of it, and we'll be here for the next two and a half hours. I was hoping that would be okay. Uh, in all seriousness, I, uh, <clears throat> I was thinking about culture, and so uh, Philip and Jeff and Connie and Neil and Steve it, you know, as they, uh, as they lead our community, they, uh, they thought that it would be good for us to take a, a few weeks and talk through how we posture ourselves with the resources God has given us. And so I was invited to speak on that tonight, uh, but the directions that were given to me were vague, and that was done on purpose because I know that they know that I don't like to go on script. And so as I was thinking through what would be the best thing for me to relay with with our community tonight, I thought through, first of all, culture. And so, actually, my wife and I, we love to grab Mexican food together. So, our kids are at an age now where we can dip out for a couple of hours, which is a beautiful thing for all of you parents that still have little, little, little ones at home. A beautiful thing when you get to another season of life and you can actually dip out for a couple of hours. Uh, with, uh, with your spouse. And so we grab Mexican food probably about uh, two or three times a month on a Wednesday night. So we have found that Wednesday nights, there's not a lot that, uh, that we have to do. Every once in a while, I have to be out of town for some of the work that I get to do. Every once in a while, she might have something come up. But there's this little Mexican restaurant that we love going to. And uh, just in the last couple of Wednesday nights, they started having a DJ there. And so this DJ really made me stop and think about culture because this is a little like quaint Mexican restaurant that has, picture this with me, environment is so important. So it has an aisle here, line of booths, and then an aisle over here with a line of booths, right? So it's just this little place. It is made up most, it, the demographic is very widespread of those that, uh, that are going to dine there. So it's got young couples, like my wife and I. It's got, uh, you know, we've seen all the way families are just trying to have a nice quiet meal in there to, you know, every once in a while we'll see some people go in there that are, look like they're on their first date, right? And then we see some... Uh, <coughs> Some, uh, you know, some people that are on a next stage of life from where even my wife and I are in. 
And uh, so the last two weeks, they've had this DJ in there. This DJ is, uh, I don't think, I, I, I think he's probably Filipino. Uh, he's in his 60s. He plays like the top DJ music, I think. But then he was also singing America the Beautiful. And then he started singing Elvis. And he started dancing up and down the aisles, even. And, and like, do, do you, was anybody a flag? I, I won't ask the boys. Was anybody a flag girl in high school? You know, like color guard? Is that what they called it? Is that what it was called? Did anybody do that? That's not bad. That's, I mean, yeah, it's not bad. Unless you're in your 60s and you're doing this in a little quaint Mexican restaurant. It was just one of the most awkward things. We, my wife and I looked across the table, and it's loud. It's like blaring. America the Beautiful, sing by a 60-year-old Filipino man in a, a little Latino restaurant. Culturally, it just didn't fit. Culturally, it didn't fit the atmosphere of what's in that really place that has amazing Mexican food. And so it made me think to myself, tonight I get to talk about what we do with the resources God's given us and how it fits into a larger vision. And I thought to myself, you know what? For some of us sitting here, the things that I'm going to say are going to seem countercultural. And the more countercultural the things that I say tonight are, makes me have to challenge us and say, am I living more for the lifestyle that I want to produce in this place? Or is my vision more for a larger kingdom at play than my own kingdom? And the more of what I say tonight that may cause us discomfort may speak into what culture we really are living within. Because I would not say here tonight, and I get to talk about this a lot <clears throat> when I work with leaders and pastors, church planners. The kingdom of God is not synonymous with America the Great. The kingdom of God is not synonymous with this idea that we are, as a church, this city on a hill. The kingdom of God is not synonymous as we approaching life from a place of power, a place of wealth, and a place of superiority. Now, I am not saying that wealth is bad. Even Jesus doesn't say that wealth is bad. He says the love of wealth is the root of all evil. And so it is hard sometimes, and I'll speak for myself, it is hard sometimes for me even to understand <clears throat> how much of the scriptures I've seen through my own cultural lens and how much of the scriptures do I actually see through the lens of the Spirit?
So I'm going to say that one more time, and you need to let me know if you're hanging in here or not. The kingdom of God, we can sometimes see it through the lens of our own culture and not even realize it. Or we can see what the kingdom of God looks like through the Spirit. And what the Spirit of God is opening up inside of us and developing inside of us. And what I'm going to talk about tonight, for some of us, can seem countercultural, just like the experience that my wife and I had in this little quaint Mexican restaurant. But I'm hoping that what I share here tonight is less countercultural and it opens our eyes more to understanding what God's kingdom is and how we as followers of Jesus are a part of something bigger than just portraying a particular lifestyle. As I was trying to think to myself, what would be the passage that would be appropriate? And there's a guy in Scripture, his name's Elisha. And in the season of life that I find myself in right now, as I was preparing for this, I was like, you know, I, I wonder if I see and relate to just this Old Testament character, Elisha. So if you don't know anything about Elijah, <clears throat> he was discipled by this, uh, by this prophet uh, named too. Thank you, there are people here and they're not dead. I hope this isn't being recorded. Um, for your sake, not my sake. Uh, so Elijah discipled Elisha. And Elijah was this amazing like prophet of the Lord who spoke fire down from the heavens on top of this mountaintop, right? And so there were these false gods that were littered throughout the nation. And Elijah said, hey, I will show you that my God is superior to all of these other little gods. And so he calls fire down from heaven. He went face to face with the king of the opposing nation of that time just to reinforce that my God is the God that is the God of all other gods. And so you read about this amazing character in Elijah that led the nation towards the things of God. So tonight, as I talked about culture, he said, I want to make sure the culture of us as a nation is centered around a worldview that is that that looks more at the kingdom of God and what God is doing in our place than it does looking at our own particular lifestyles that we might choose to live. Well, Elijah is getting ready to vacate the premises. God tells him his time is almost done. And so he goes to Elisha and he says, Elisha, my, my time is getting ready to come to an end. What would you like from me? What can I do for you? And Elisha looks at him and he says, I pray that you, through the Lord's work, would give me a double portion of your spirit. I'll say that again. Elisha says to Elijah, I want a double portion of your spirit. Why would he say that?
ambition. Anybody else? Legacy? What about intimidation? What about fear? What about I cannot live up to what I have seen God do through this amazing man? Insecurity. Unsureness. Have you guys ever been called to do something that is beyond your capability? If you haven't, you haven't tried very hard. I mean that. If you haven't, you need to try a little bit harder. I think Elijah saw his mentor leaving. And he says, there's no, there's no way that I can live up to the things that I have seen the Lord do through you. And I think his prayer is one of honesty. I think his prayer is one of <clears throat> reliance. And he says, if the Lord is going to use me in this capacity... I need a double portion, not just the Spirit of God to work in me, but I need a double portion of God's Spirit to work in me than what's worked in you. That is a humbling place to come to, to say, Elijah, you are a man that is gifted beyond measure. I cannot attain the same things that the Lord has done in you to see them accomplished through me. I don't just need the Spirit of God to work in me. I need a double portion of the Spirit of God I've seen work in you because, man, I need overtime. Have you ever been to a place where you're like, God, I need a double portion of your Spirit to work in me? Not to accomplish your own, like, like, like false ego trip to, to like conquer this or that, but, but an honest like reflection of, no, God has told me to do something that is not for my own ego and purpose, but is for the welfare of mankind around me. You see, we often think that the advancement of God's kingdom happens only right here. Have you ever thought that your job as a mechanic, your job as an accountant, your job as an engineer, your job waiting tables is for the advancement of God's kingdom in that place? It is for the welfare of mankind. It is to see all things renewed back to Jesus as Savior, Jesus as King. As Jesus, as he says, I pray that heaven will come to earth. He says, I pray that as it is done in heaven, it would be done here on earth. Have we ever been in a place where we have been intimidated and insecure out of measure to say, Lord, I, I, I can't do this. 
I need a double portion of your spirit. This is beyond my capability. So when Connie and I moved here, wow, the years go by fast, almost 11 years ago, to start this community, we were three of us and a college student meeting in my living room. And we were like, how is the Lord going to create a community of Christ followers out of this? Somebody has asked me in the last couple of years, like, I always look at the health of something by influence because Jesus didn't like grow these large crowds, but he created influence everywhere he went. And somebody asked me a question regarding Awaken, and I said, you know, as I look over the influence God has allowed this community, it's been over 500 people God has influenced through this community. Not just people that pop in to consume once or, he, once or twice here, because the kingdom of God is not meant to be consumed. It's meant to be participated in. And if we find that God is not exciting, it's because your life is boring, not because God is boring. It's because we have not put ourselves in a place to say, God, I need a double portion of your spirit. This is why they don't let me talk very often. And so God has birthed this community and it's been about engaging back in the neighborhoods and how do we see the renewal of all things back to Christ in the neighborhood? How do we gather together here to share stories of that renewal work? How do we gather back here to continue to be pointed back to the scriptures, to be a part of that renewal of all things back to the Lord? Is that a new phrase for any of us? That is what the kingdom of God is. That is the gospel. As I've thought about this, idea of God's double, a double portion of God's spirit. My, my work now, I work for two different organizations. I am a support-raised missionary. I raise about two-thirds of our income. And that's a scary place to be sometimes. To rely on others to support you to do God's work in a place that is oftentimes not always understood. But it's a beautiful place to be too because amazing people have come alongside of us, pray for us on a daily basis, and we're able to share stories of what God is doing. And so we get to work throughout Hampton Roads. I get to go up to the nation's capital in Washington, D.C. I get to work, uh, I get to do some work right now in Philadelphia. <clears throat> and it's all built around helping the church you drive down the street, you see an existing church. It all has to do with helping an existing church learn how to be rooted with the gospel back in their neighborhoods. And so I get to talk with a lot of pastors and elders and leadership teams of all different theological backgrounds to look and say, how do we live missionally within a city to see our cities renewed back to King Jesus? And then I get to work with some other young people planting some new churches. I just met with a young couple tonight just about working at 10 minutes. You've got to be kidding me. Uh, planting a new church in a particular uh, place here in Hampton Roads. So all that being said, I will tell you 
that the last year and a half-ish that I have been on my knees praying, Lord, I need a double portion of your spirit because this is so outside of what I am capable of. I'll explain it to people and people are like, I don't get it. That's okay, I don't get it half the time either. But it's about the church working together within a place to say, how do we see God bring renewal within our communities? And so there's this amazing story in Scripture it's about Elijah being called by three kings. These three kings was a king of Edom, a king of Israel, and the king of Judah. And the king of Israel was basically enslaving people uh, from uh, Moab. And the Moabites decided they don't want to continue to give money to the king of Israel, so they say, we're not going to do that anymore. And the king of Israel says, you know what? I'm going to go get my friends and we're going to go to war with you because I want your stuff still. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that why wars are fought? And so they go out to fight against these three nations to fight against the king of Moab. And they realize they run out of water. I want to share this passage with you. It's 2 Kings verse 3, verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9. It says, So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And when they had made a circuitous march of seven days, there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. God is going to allow us to be conquered. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? Then one of the kings, one of the king of Israel's servants answered, Elijah, who poured water on the hands of Elijah, he was a servant of Elijah. The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elijah said to the king of Israel, what, I, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father, to the prophets of your mother. He's basically saying, why should I help you? Your desire is not for God's kingdom, but for your own selfish gain. And it brings me back to my point again. What kingdom are we living for? So as we look at the resources God has given us, and it's far more than money and wealth, guys. But what is our purpose? What are the things that we are living for? But the king of Israel said to him, No, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them to the hand of Moab. Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. He says, If it wasn't for your buddy Jehoshaphat, we wouldn't even be talking. But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon 
him being Elijah. And he said, thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. You shall not see wind or rain, but that the stream bed shall be filled with water so that you shall drink. You, your livestock, your animals, this is the thing. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. This is an easy thing for the Lord to do. Give them, he will give the Moabites into your hands. So what he says here, if you look up in other passages, King James Version says he looks at the three kings and he says, go dig some ditches. The uh, NASB, which is actually a more literal translation, like the King James Version is a little more literal transa- translation from the original Hebrew. It says, go dig some trenches. So you see Elijah, look at the three kings, and he says, yeah, the king of Israel, you're not asking for my help because you want to see the things of the Lord accomplished. You just want to keep enslaving these people. But Jehoshaphat, you are a man of God. You want to see the things of the Lord accomplished. I trust you. The Lord trusts you. Therefore, the Lord has told me to tell you, go dig some ditches. Dig them all through the area. It won't rain, but those ditches will fill with water. And there will be water there for you to drink. There will be water there for your livestock to drink that has come with you. And by the way, the Lord will allow you to conquer the nation of Moab. And if you read on in the story, it says that they conquered Moab because as the sun came up over these trenches of water that they dug, that it looked as though the water was blood. It was a red sky morning. And the people of Moab said, oh, the three kings must have fought each other. It's our time. We will go out and we'll fight them now only to come to their own demise, finding that there wasn't blood in the trenches. That all three nations were strong and were nursed from the water the Lord had provided. And they conquered the nation of Moab. I know you're sitting here and you're like, what does this have to do with living a balanced life? I can't help but read this passage and think, first of all, of Elisha crying out, Lord, you're calling me into something that I am incapable of doing. And because the Lord called him into something he was incapable of doing, he was able to look at the three kings and call them into something he knew they were incapable of doing. They themselves could not provide water. They themselves could not conquer the other kingdom without their own replenishment of water. But he looked at him and he said, go dig some ditches. My challenge to you is go dig some ditches. Now you're like, what does that mean? That doesn't make any sense. What does it look like for you to dig some ditches ditches, in your own personal life?
So, over the last year, I've been learning a lot about myself. Um, I've learned that all of us live from a false narrative, yourself as well. We develop, we develop false narratives as kids that allow us to function and posture through life. <clears throat> Carl Jung, a leading psychologist of his time, a lot of things we have today are built off of Carl Jung, actually has made the statement, which I think is powerful. He says, what helped you in the morning of life will constrict and kill you in the afternoon of life. Think about that for a minute. What helped you in the morning of life will kill and constrict you in the afternoon of life. So the false narrative that I've learned, I've created as a kid that built my personality, which our personality is simply how we show up to life, is built upon this false narrative that I will be loved for what I achieve. I will be loved for the successes that I accomplish. I will be loved by my brothers and my sisters because they'll look at my work and say, not only is your work redeemable, but so are you now. Early in life, man, you can get a heck of a lot of stuff done. In the afternoon of life, it's the same lie that will kill and constrict. I am learning that I'm in the afternoon of life. I have had to dig some ditches about my own self. And I would not argue that I was a very unaware person. I think I've always been fairly self-aware. But there's layers to it like an onion. And as you peel back a layer, there's another layer. And the layer that I'm in right now is realizing that is a false narrative. The gospel says, no, you are loved for who you are as a son, as a child of the king. You have the image of God born in you. And so even in the last year, I've learned that I can easily set aside my emotions to get something accomplished. But those emotions always have a way of coming back to the surface. For me, it presents itself through shingles I got a year ago. It's like, man, I'm 40 years old. What, what am I getting shingles from? If you don't know anything about it, look it up later, but it's not contagious. You're not going to die because I'm in your presence. <clears throat> All the way to, I'm a very positive individual, to where in the last month I've had multiple panic attacks. High anxiety. It's extremely hard for me to stand here and admit. all the way to manifestations where the doctors want to look at my heart, they want to look at my lungs now, they want to say, hey, what's the matter with you physically? 
I'm reliving some of the hard things that I've had to walk this community through over the years from holding a stillborn baby to watching a leader within the church walk out with 30 people to helping transition a church to begin to live into a new season of ministry that I fell on my knees and said, Lord, if I'm going to do this in our area, in Northern Virginia, in other parts of the country, I need a double portion of your spirit because I can't do this. I have had to learn to dig some ditches in my own personal life. I always say that maturity comes through self-awareness and then it comes through God-awareness. So I'm going to challenge you today to dig some ditches in your awareness of a triune God. We often want to think that God is this one being, and it says, Scripture says no, it's this amazing community between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not about just one of them, it's about the collection of all three of them, which is far beyond our comprehension at times. But because it is a triune God that we worship, we are called into a community to participate, not to sit back and observe. And I'm afraid that in American Christianity, we have been taught to sit and observe. Rather than to live into this fruitful relationship between a triune God that has perfect love and intimacy for one another. But the amazing thing is, this triune God the Father sent the Son because He said that my image is born in all of you. And I want you to realize my image that is born in you. And so I'm going to send my Son, Jesus, who is going to show the world what it looks like to be fully human. Jesus went to the cross and raised again to break the powers and authorities of this world that held us captive. You are no longer captive. You're only captive if you choose to be. I am not captive as I deal with my own ditches. I'm only captive if I choose to be. Part of choosing not to be captive is sharing in community. Safe community. But to share in safe community... I believe, requires us to understand a triune God. Because the Father sent the Son, and then the Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit resides in those of us that choose to allow the Spirit to reside in us. As followers of Jesus, we choose to allow the Spirit to reside in us. That's why Elisha can fall on the ground and say, I need a double portion of your Spirit. And then the amazing thing is that we are invited into this divine dance of the Trinity. This amazing relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're invited into being more than just observers. More than just participants in a worship gathering. We're invited into this way of life 
that has to reflect every area of our life. Because we're invited into this way of life that is about a beautiful dance between a triune God and his creation where we show up in community. I share with you some of my ditches. That's why we have missional communities. So we show up in community and we share some of our ditches. And then the Lord allows us to be a part of the advancement of his kingdom, the renewal of all things back to his lordship. That's what we do through our missional communities. That's what I love to work with other churches on, other leaders, other pastors, to see all of us together participate with God in this amazing community that requires mutual submission, requires repentance, but it also comes with joy, with fellowship, that destroys aloneness. My challenge to us tonight as I run out of time, and I don't know if I've done it very well, is where are you digging ditches in your life with your own personal understanding? Maturity comes through better knowing myself and better knowing the Lord. How are you digging ditches in both? And knowing the Lord is not just about sitting in a place, and I'm way over, but I want to leave you this story. Two weeks ago, I sat at a church and I'm trying to explain to this dying church how they can still be a part of a bright future. And they can use the things the Lord has given them to help create a new community. The average age of the congregation is 85. There's about 25 people. They're not reaching their neighborhood. They're not seeing the renewal of things back to Christ. So I'm sharing with them because they asked me to come in and share with what they can do. I went home that night in tears. Told my wife, one of the men in the room, he looked at me and he says, I understand what you want me to do. But I want to know what's in it for me. And he literally says, I know that sounds selfish, but I don't care. Fortunately, that church has decided to move on and they're going to plant a new church. So regardless of this one particular man's opinion, they've decided to move on and do something amazing. I'm truly excited to walk with them and help them in. But I went home that night and I told my wife, I said, Connie, I think I literally just witnessed what happens to the human heart when it has been disengaged from God's mission for a very long, long time. We have the opportunity here with Awaken, trying to keep this PG, to dig some dang ditches. But it has to start in your own life because it doesn't start from up here. 
So how are we going to dig some ditches back in our missional communities, back in our places of work, back in the way that we build and manage our own resources? How will we live for a bigger kingdom than just ourselves? Otherwise, we can find ourselves 30, 40, 50 years from now saying, hey, I understand what you want me to do, but I want to know what's in it for me. And I know that's selfish, but I don't care. I hurt for that man because that is what it looks like for the human heart to be disengaged from God's mission for a long time long time. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would meet with us through our stations. I pray that we would do our business before you. For some of us, it's falling on our knees and saying, Lord, I need a double portion of your spirit. For others of us, Lord, it's saying, I need to dig some ditches. I need to dig some ditches in my own personal growth, my own personal demons that I need to see you overcome. Lord, I need to dig some ditches to understand where you want me to step out in faith. Lord, I need to do my business with you to be a part of a larger community that is madly and deeply in love with you, Jesus. Let us do that now, Lord. Amen. Amen.